going on guys hope you've all been having a great week and i'm excited to share with you guys a this week's podcast is going to be another interview my second interview now on the love to create podcast and it's going to be with ben hess so ben hess he's um, a talented cinematographer dp based in la he's um in bakersfield but around the la area and he creates amazing content i've been connecting with him on instagram for a while now and he just happened to land a gig out here in Scottsdale, Arizona. So I've been helping him out on his productions and whatnot. And he had a little bit of time today to spare to hop on this podcast um, in the studio. So I'm excited to share with you guys this podcast. We talked about a lot of cool things. So um, also want to let you guys know at about the 40 minute mark um, with like 10 minutes left. Unfortunately, my um, microphone did die and I kind of substituted it and did a voiceover um, back in the studio of what I said, but on um, on a microphone. So I kind of recorded it again to kind of like overlay it. But if you guys see a change in the audio for my voice, um, that's what that is. So here we go. All right. Perfect. So what's going on, Ben? How's it going? Good, good. My first time in Arizona and yeah. uh, I'm loving it. It's a little hot, so I wish I wore some shorts, but next time. <laughs> yeah. So Ben came down and it's July right now and it's mm. like a hundred and five more or less out yeah let's talk about talk a little bit about you and your background um, i know a lot of my followers do follow you um while you were in town some people dm me like oh shoot ben's in oh. town that's super cool <laughs> so let's dive into like how you got into like the film space um like what's your background how'd you get started in yeah everything? so it all started with uh, you know the family video camera i had just a little camcorder and i'd, I'd make these fun little vi videos very silly but we loved to put them on the tv and our family would gather around and just laugh at how good slash bad they were and so that got me started uh, that so that got me loving filmmaking and then high school rolls around i started doing some short films and then i'm like i'm gonna be the next steven spielberg and so after the film festivals that i entered in high school i started uh, acting classes to meet people in the industry and I did a short little challenge that kind of went viral and that really gave me the push to pursue Hollywood but after a few years I'm like ah making feature-length films isn't something I want to necessarily do because so much energy and time gets put into them and then I met a photographer who gave me a chance to help grow his YouTube channel. And that gave me the chance to really learn about the social media aspect of things and making short form content. And that's kind of my bread and butter now is the commercial world, just short form content, anywhere from you know 30 seconds to just a few minutes long. I, I really love bouncing from one project to the next because you can grow so much faster. So that's where I'm at now. <laughs> cool, I love it, man. Want to give the listeners um, a little bit more about like your age and how long you've been doing it, like yeah. that time frame. So I'm 25 now and uh, I started probably when I was 18 and actually I, I totally forgot to tell this is I had done weddings for so a long time actually. And that's what really gave me the opportunity to just learn how to communicate with people. Uh, gave me help like practicing shooting under you know high stress situations. You, there's no retakes when it's the first kiss, so yeah. you got to get stuff right. And the weddings really gave me an opportunity just to grow as a filmmaker. Uh, gave me some finances to invest in you know better camera gear stuff like that and slowly transition into more of the jobs that I want to be doing down the road. So <laughs> cool, cool. So. Did you ever have like a mentor when you were first starting out or did you 
did you go to film school, YouTube? How'd you learn everything you know right now? So the big question is always like, should I go to film school or not? And sure. I opted not to go to film school just because I wanted to learn on my own pace. And you know, I don't have anything against film school. I think the biggest benefit is probably learning uh, or the networking, connecting with people. And I thought I could either connect with people in film school or I can, can connect with people you know, online and try to meet them in person and stuff like that. So I went the non-film school route, uh, YouTube University is what I call it. So really I would just you know, find you know, filmmakers I would like, people that I looked up to, find their YouTube channels, find their Instagram, go look at their behind the scenes and try to replicate uh, basically shots that I really liked and that's how I've grown. So. Awesome, man. <laughs> so it's cool to like get connected with you. I feel like we got connected through social media. That's all like everybody gets connected now. Oh yeah, it works. So, so we're here. I know. We're here, it's guys. crazy. <laughs> like I've never met Ben before, and now he's in Scottsdale. Had to uh -huh. hit him up, and now he's doing the podcast. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everybody loves to talk about gear, and you're rocking mm -hmm. all the best camera gear right now. But like, what'd you get started with when you first started out? And talk to us like about how you like leveled up from one to the next. Um, to what you're at right now? Yeah, so I started with the T3i uh, and the nifty 50, little 50 millimeter 1.8. Uh -huh. And I remember I was like counting change like at the target counter to pay for my camera. And I was like, this is gonna be game changing. And then got that, it worked really well because that's right when the DSLR revolution kind of happened. Then I got the 5D Mark III because I wanted uh, the full frame sensor. And a few years after shooting with that, I loved how I could edit raw photos, but I couldn't edit raw video. Sure. And then that's when I heard about RED cameras and they were coming out with the Scarlet W. And so I somehow convinced my wife to let me get the Scarlet W. <laughs> and I'm like, so much, so many jobs are gonna come from this. And when yeah. I got the camera, like, you know, it does help with likes when you post a big camera setups and stuff. But the main thing is honestly just getting out there and meeting people and, uh, you know, just posting great work, you know, and so a few years of having the Scarlet W uh, that they came out with the Gemini. So I eventually uh, sold my Scarlet W, got the Gemini and got some anamorphic lenses, which if you're not familiar, they're really cool lenses that just help get like the cinematic look or it, it's what JJ Abrams uses to get those really cool lens flares. Uh, mm -hmm. So I don't have them with me right now, but uh, I like to shoot with those a lot and that's my setup currently is a Gemini with the anamorphic lenses. Cool, so, so let's talk about more of the transition from the Canon 5D Mark III, that's mm -hmm. what a majority of people use, mm -hmm. into biting the bullet, upgrading to the red. Like what made you decide that you needed to do that? Because I know a lot of people like, they always ask, is it the right time to upgrade gear? Do I need to? Um, some people probably wouldn't even know how to use it, you know? Like I wouldn't know how to use it myself if I were to upgrade right now. Like when mm -hmm. would you say, um, is the right time to upgrade. Yeah, like right now, the current camera climate is very interesting because cameras are coming out left and right. They're getting better, but the costs are coming down. Sure. So it's it's a very interesting market. Like two years ago, I probably would have said, you know, a RED is a pretty good choice and they still are, but you've got like the Blackmagic cameras coming out, like the, like Canon's dropping their new EOS R that shoots 8K. Mm -hmm. But of course, you know, there is, consumer and then, and then there's professional gear. And mm -hmm. so I feel like if you're pursuing like the professional route, probably get a, a dedicated cinema camera, um, you know, photo and video, you could probably get away like kind of what you're rocking. It's a, it's a perfect setup, it works good for you. Mm -hmm. um, I think the most important thing to remember is the 
the, the end goal. Like you should be able to take any camera and make a great film. Cause if you give that to the top cinematographers like Shane Hurlbut, he shot Act of Valor on the 5D Mark II and that played in theaters across the nation. And so it's really how you use the gear and not the gear that you have. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, it is kind of nice having like raw video and stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, I'd say look, look into maybe the Blackmagic cameras, but if you have the budget to go for a RED, definitely they're, they're, they're a good camera to have. So, yeah. <laughs> Would you recommend people investing in the RED and maybe paying with it with a credit card at first? And yeah, you know how that could get maybe a little bit iffy. Yeah. Um, how would you recommend someone go about that if they really, really wanted a RED camera? Um, uh -huh and they know maybe client work would come from it mm -hmm. um, versus a person who might want to buy a red camera just for like the flexing with it, you know? Yeah. Um, but not staying busy at the current moment, you know? Mm -hmm. I'd probably, that's a very good question. I'd recommend, uh, I never usually recommend taking out like a loan or something on electronics just because electronics can depreciate mm -hmm. uh, lenses on the other hand once you get into like some cinema lenses those can actually hold their value pretty well but cameras tend to lose their value and so I recommend if you're wanting a red maybe look on like eBay or there's Facebook groups mm -hmm. or even uh, a red forum where people will post their used cameras and so that can be a really great way to score a good deal on let's say like a red Raven or a Scarlet W uh, you know, for thousands less than what you could have bought it for new. Um, mm -hmm. And that way you can see if you like it or not. And also, all, renting can be huge. So yeah. it could be a lot cheaper to, let's say, rent the camera for a few days during the shoots that you have it versus just having it sit in a closet for months at a time or whenever you're not shooting. Um, so renting or buying and use cameras would I probably recommend. Yeah. I feel like renting is like one of the biggest things um, that I used to do when I first started out. Like if I couldn't afford a camera at the time, but I knew that if I had that camera, it could land me the job. Mm -hmm. And then the return from that job could eventually buy me that camera. Um, that's where renting would go, go like a long, long way. Like I bought stuff off or rented stuff off of like lens rentals. Mm -hmm. I've got a couple cameras and lenses for certain like photography gigs. And for like a headshot gig, I rented like a 70 to 200 millimeter oh, yeah. G Master. And then after that, I was able to buy it. So, uh -huh. um, you don't necessarily need to buy the gear right off the bat mm -hmm. when you can always rent it. Yeah, and also one thing, it's like speaking of renting, like I rented the 70 to 200 like eight or nine times before I was yeah. able to finally buy it. And that was when I was starting weddings because when you're filming like a ceremony or when you're taking photos from far away, like I just needed that lens, you know, I couldn't do it without it. And so, you know, rented it until I was comfortable buying it. Uh, and in the long run, it, you know, it did cost me more because I had to rent it, but it's like, it, don't make a dumb decision and buy something you can't afford. Sure. Um, and then uh, also get a buddy who has camera gear. That's yeah, another good way, go. you know, team up. Like if I lived in Scottsdale, I'd probably be renting an office right here. We'd be able to share gear and kind of team up. Yeah. Um, so it's another way to kind of split the cost and, you know, buy gear together versus all on your own. So yeah, that's cool. Uh -huh. I like that. <laughs> so going back to, the like industry you kind of started and I know you talked about the wedding niche you did that for a couple years or so um, you probably learned so much from it mm -hmm. um, what made you decide to move forward from the wedding niche to something else yeah I really like the weddings uh, they're really good they teach you so many lessons but I didn't like how a year in advance I'd have to block off my schedule 
And because what if, let's say, a family event happened later that year or like or during that same wedding weekend or it was just kind of like I had the freedom, but I didn't at the same time. And also it, I kind of just wanted to move on and try more commercial stuff and try to, you know, climb the ladder and somehow work with like Nike or Adidas or Yeti or something. And so um, just really trying to go into a different industry. So, yeah. So <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw, but he just dropped his Adidas um ad he created um, want to dive a little bit more into why he created that what the process was like and what your desired outcome for creating that was or is yeah so the biggest thing to that I've realized is post the work that you want to get and so when I wanted to transition away from weddings I stopped posting weddings and I still just from word of mouth and past work that I posted I still get a lot of inquiries but not nearly as many and so when it came time to do commercial work, my buddy uh, Samuel Elkins, who's a big photographer, he's always out there taking photos on his, and his Instagram is full of just amazing portraits. And I'm like, man, he's probably making so much money. And like he is, and I thought all of those photos were paid work. And he's like, no, like 90% of the stuff I post is passion projects or passion shoots. I just go out and shoot to have fun and get better at my craft. And I took that like, okay, how can I do this for video? And it's the same thing. If I want to work for Adidas, but all I have are weddings on my reel or, you know, something else, like there's no way they're going to hire me. Mm -hmm. So I had to go hire a model, buy the shoes, get the location, put together the best commercial I possibly could and put it on my website. And so that's why I made an Adidas spec ad. Essentially, you have to make spec work as good as possible. You have to make it look like it was the real deal. And so, like, if, if it doesn't look like Nike or Adidas was, would have made that, then don't necessarily make that. You know, you could feature someone, like, you could feature an artist, a musician, or just anything to get cool shots to put on your website. And in the instance of my Adidas thing, I featured a runner and it was supposed to be a lifestyle commercial and then i thought how can i take it to the next level and make it look like a brand would want to want to hire me and i needed to feature the shoe more and so i got i rented my buddy's warehouse and i filmed the shoe but then i thought how can i capture people's attention right off the bat and then i'm like what if the shoe floated and so then i tied a fishing string to the shoe made it float and of course edited the fishing string out and then added all those cool shots into the commercial and lo and behold uh you know posted it i hyped it up pretty well and now this week i'm supposed to be meeting with someone that does work for adidas on a regular basis just because yeah. i posted it someone saw it and that someone knew that person that works for adidas and connected me with them without even me asking and it just goes to show you can never know who's going to see the work that you post, mm -hmm. which is also very important. You have to put your work out there or else how can anyone see it or how can you get jobs? So Sure. Yeah. I feel like what you put into it, you're going to get like back 10x from it. Like mm -hmm. what, what you put into it, like you maybe paid some cost for the model, the mm -hmm. shoes, that's like what, 100 bucks. And mm -hmm. then your time, of course, for a couple of days. Yeah. But then getting like, let's say, five to 10 projects out of that maybe, you know? Like oh, you yeah. never know. So mm -hmm. that's cool how like creating something that you love could lead to projects that you also love but getting mm. paid while doing it. Oh yeah, and the biggest thing is to treat it like you're getting paid. So obviously I took money out of my own pocket to make this mm -hmm. commercial happen, but act like Adidas is paying you $10,000. Like put that level of perfection that you put into your paid work into this passion work 
and you can really reap the benefits because it's gonna it just takes it to a whole other level when you think of it that way cool so, so diving into let's say a different topic mm -hmm. um, let's talk about one of like your horror stories with like a client or something like what has anything ever like gone terrible or just totally wrong and you had to maybe um, try to like find a way to better the outcome or something or mm -hmm. you couldn't or yeah. Yeah, there's a few. One of them would be uh, where I was working with a, a client and we were on the shoot day. This was our first time shooting and the client had his sort of like business partner, partner or mentor and uh, he's a bit older uh, and so I think just his view of how filming should be done was a bit different but he was kind of being a backseat driver and really like I was trying to do my best and film multiple angles and stuff and he was just kind of saying you know, you're doing it wrong you're doing it wrong and that was kind of you know an uncomfortable situation because I'm trying to make an amazing product and like edit it in my mind I'm editing as I shoot so I know what I need and I was communicating with the the main client the whole time so we were on board but the other person wasn't and so I think it's probably just having that conversation of understanding like who's you know who has the right to say stuff on set or you know uh, just making sure that you're both on the same page. Okay, so this one, oh, this is probably my biggest regret. <laughs> so I shot something down in Los Angeles and then the next day, I hadn't formatted my card yet, and then a buddy calls me, he's like, yo, uh, our camera's like dead or something. He needed to borrow my camera last minute. And I'm like, oh, I could help you. And I wasn't home at the time. So I was like, yo, go to my house. My wife's there, you can grab the camera and then I hadn't transferred the footage yet. And mm -hmm. so he grabs my camera and he formats it. Oh, and no. I lost all that footage. And uh, yeah, that was a bad you mistake. You couldn't recover it? I couldn't recover it. Was I did that a everything. paid shoot? Uh, it was a paid shoot. And yeah. <laughs> you know, the client was upset. They understood. Sure. Um, and you know, fortunate enough, they, they understood mistakes happen. And from then on out though, that taught me a valuable lesson, like have a process. Mm -hmm. So now my process is like, you know, when I come home, import that footage and back it up, you know, so you yeah. learn from your mistakes. Uh, and so that was a big one and I've never done it since, never happened beforehand. But yeah, that was not good. <laughs> no, yeah, I feel like we've all been there once or twice, you know? Yeah, so um, any future clients listening, trust me, I take care of your footage, from, you know? <laughs> I swear. I know you're based out of Bakersfield, mm -hmm. a little bit north of um, LA. Mm -hmm. Let's say, um, what's the majority of your clients? Where are they located? Do you like to travel? I know you're in Scottsdale now. Mm -hmm. um, how do you balance all that? Yeah, so I live in Bakersfield and I don't really do any work there. I just started to do it. Like I did like one shoot recently, but mm -hmm. a majority of my work is either down in Los Angeles uh, or companies that reach out to me that are based, let's say like in London, like in this case, they're based in London. So they hired me to shoot their athletes here in the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Or another of my clients is Epidemic Sound. And so I'll do like YouTube tutorials for them and I could shoot those wherever I'd like, uh, which is kind of nice. Um, and so I'd say, you know, 80% of my clients are probably from Los Angeles and then 20% are from wherever, but I could shoot kind of wherever. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Do you like to travel a lot or do you try to keep it at a minimal or try to I, get as many as you can? I like to travel. I, the big cities, that's what kind of intimidates me like New York and stuff. So it's really fun, but I'm a guy that loves the mountains, like the open field versus like the tall cities. Um, and so, yeah, I do like to travel. 
I, I honestly, I can go to the mountains like so much and I'd be happy there, but traveling and getting to see other cultures and different parts of the world is really fun as well. Haven't traveled to too many countries, but uh, yeah, mainly the United States, so. Cool. So I know you're 25 and if you guys didn't know, Ben's been married for what, five years? Mm. That's insane. <laughs> So yeah. I want to dive into like the work-life balance kind of mm. thing. I know Ben already tried booking a flight back for tonight and landing at like 7.40 because he wants mm -hmm. to hop on his computer back yeah. home. <laughs> so how do you balance that work-life um, work -life balance with yeah. your wife and trying to work at your home office while mm -hmm. having time for her? Yeah, it's definitely not easy because it's always like if I just work a little bit more or a little bit harder, you can you know get another client or make better stuff. And so it's really about setting, I think, goals in your business life, but also your personal life and with your friends and your family. Because it's so easy to say, I'm working, can't do this, but it's like, you could always be working. So you have to set those boundaries, you yeah. know? Um, and just spending quality time. And like, my personal computer setup is in our living room. Mm -hmm. uh, and then her setup is in our second bedroom. And so we both work from home and we kind of, we can have, I bug her way more than she bugs me. I'm like, Serena, bring me water, bring me coffee. It's so I yeah. got to be able to give her some time. But uh, yeah, I think it's just really setting goals and just knowing when to stop talking about work and stuff like that. So. For sure. Cool. So now that you're a couple years into your business, mm -hmm. um, where do you see yourself like two to three years from now? That's what I'm really trying to figure out right now. If I want to pursue being a cinematographer full time mm -hmm. and be just the guy that holds the camera and makes the lighting look good, or if I want to kind of be a production company and kind of work with, uh, kind of like what you do, you know, work with clients one on one mm -hmm. and make projects from beginning to end for them. But I'm really just navigating the waters to see like kind of what pays more, what allows me to have the freedom I want, and uh, just what gets me to work on the products that I want. Yeah. And like, let's say I, I want to work for Adidas, you know, that might be a big gap uh, to get there because uh, they're probably not going to hire just Ben Hess, but they're going to hire an agency who hires a producer, who hires a director, who then hires me. Sure. But you could work for other shoe brands that might be a little bit smaller mm -hmm. and you could still make the same content, but it won't be for Adidas, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. So I know you like uh, more of the travel kind of um, brands. Mm -hmm. What would you say like your top three dream clients would be? Yeah, like I mentioned the mountains. Like I love like Ye uh, Yeti. I think yeah. you know it's overpriced, but who cares? It's just uh -huh. cool. They sell the lifestyle. Uh -huh. And so like if I could go capture someone using a cooler while they're fishing with their family or mm -hmm. capture someone road tripping, like I think Yeti would be one. Um, maybe Burton, I just love their stuff because I like snowboarding. Um, and then, I don't know, probably honestly like a running one, like cool. Adidas or Nike, yeah. kind of as cliche as it is, like, you know, but Nike or, you know, because you could do so much with that mm -hmm. and it all evolves around like outdoors, stuff like that. So that's what I'm passionate about. Cool. Yeah. And I feel like after you made that Adidas um, ad, like it's crazy how like just pumping out like one of your um, passion projects if someone watches it, they know and have like a connection to someone with a Nike or Adidas mm -hmm. and then links you up with them. It's crazy how far that could go. Oh yeah. And like your dream clients, I feel like come out of nowhere sometimes. Like it's mm -hmm. not you reaching out to them, following up with them. It's um, just by 
not luck, but just right place, right time, creating the best work you can possible. Yeah. And it just all falls into place. Yeah, yeah. And it's crazy. Like a lot of people say like, oh, you just got lucky here. Okay, there's a term. <laughs> it's uh, luck equals preparation plus opportunity. It's something like that. But it basically, put in the fucking work and if you put in the luck. work, that, 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 you make your own luck. You sure. know what I mean? So just go out there and make the content, make the work you want to get, put it out there and one thing you have to be meeting people you know you you got to introduce yourself go yeah. out there and, and say hi offer to help and one of the big things is like working for free you cut you you have to but you got to be careful like who you work for free for and like where it can lead to because some people can take advantage of free work yeah but other opportunities like when i worked for sam elkins he said you know i can't really afford to pay you for this first video but hang in there and it'll be worth it and I did a free video, made it the best I could. And then a week later, he was starting to get paid work left and right. Mm -hmm. and, so, and then, you know, we're still working together to this day. But had I not gone out and done that free project at the beginning, I probably wouldn't have had all these opportunities and be where I am today. So. Yeah, I feel like working for free or working for exposure is such like a weird topic, like mm -hmm. up in the air kind of topic. Is, yeah. There's like no yes or no answer. Mm -hmm. I feel like you got to gauge it and like, just be um just have a good idea of like if that's gonna bring you like an roi for for yourself or for your business down the mm. road versus someone who just wants to get that free photo shoot or free um video project and then just dip and move on to the next person you know yeah yeah so you kind of just got to know your worth and gauge the clients see you can do they do they have potential it's sometimes it's a risk and sometimes it pays off sometimes it doesn't so you kind of got to you know, you win some, you lose some, but the, mm -hmm. the wins will be much bigger than the sum of the losses. So. Yeah, and I feel mm -hmm. like if you find a project that you're super passionate about, like mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you have this final result that you created that you love anyway. So mm -hmm. um, that's a win versus doing a project that you might feel kind of iffy about, like don't want to do, and then you end up not getting paid for it. And now you mm -hmm. just feel like shit. And then you like devalue yourself. And I yeah. feel like a lot of people kind of end in that rabbit hole sometimes. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so I know you like to talk a lot about business, the business mm -hmm. side of things. So um, what's one big mistake you see with creatives who are just starting out in the entrepreneur route um, that you see that's pretty common? Hmm, probably not pricing yourself high enough. Yeah. That's, that's one of them. Um, there's a huge misconception that it's whoever says the first price loses but there's a, a strong argument that it's possibly the opposite. Whoever says the first price wins because you, you're setting an anchor for what you're worth. And so this, it's kind of tricky though, cause you've got, if you have no idea what the client is working with in terms of budget, you got to feel, get a feel for what it is. Mm -hmm. So you can say I'm worth, let's say $5,000 or, you know, but what if they had $10,000, you just costed yourself you know, an extra five thousand dollars. Sure. And I'd say you know, pricing yourself, and then pricing you, you have to take into account re-editing. You have to take into account the time it takes to plan stuff. You know, it's and another huge thing is like day rates. People try to let's say a company says, oh, you know, well, I want to hire you for just a half day or whatever, and so you're like, okay, I normally charge a thousand, but I could do five hundred, but that's taking like all your time for that day. Like you're, it's even though you're only shooting for like half a day, you can't go book another shoot that day, mm -hmm. most likely. You know, if you have a studio set up like this, you could possibly, you know, kind of churn clients for photos a little bit quicker. Mm -hmm. But if I'm going out on location for a video shoot, 
you know, only for half a yeah. day. The time it takes to get there and yeah. get back home and uh -huh. all that time in between. So t look at it as time lost, not time uh, spent. Because that time you can't get back. So you should be charging $1,000 still, in my opinion, if that's like your day rate or whatever. Like charge a thousand bucks because even if it's just a half day because you can't do anything else that day. So yeah. Cool. So I feel like pricing yourself, um, that's something people are very intimidated by or mm -hmm. don't really have a good grasp when they first start out. Mm -hmm. But I feel like as you grow and progress and you're a couple years into your business, mm -hmm. then you have a better idea and you're more confident um, after mm -hmm. landing a couple gigs and projects are paying you the amount you want to be paid, mm -hmm. now you're confident of charging that much, if not more, for mm -hmm. the next client coming down. Yeah. Um, so would you say, it, how long did it take you until you, like, you felt more confident about your pricing, if you're confident or um, if you're still going through that process, you know? Yeah, uh, it really comes down to, I think, just knowing what you're worth. Mm -hmm. And a good tactic you can do is, uh, like in the wedding industry, what we would do, sounds bad, but you kind of, you know, inquire with other, you know, let's say wedding videographers and act like it's your wedding date. Luckily, <laughs> I was able to do this because I was getting married. Yeah. So I was like emailing, yo, I want you to do my wedding, even uh -huh. though I wasn't going to hire them. But that can give you an idea of what their rates were. Yeah. But another way to do this for the filming industry, filming industry and to also do it in a respectful manner so no if I want to know a few other DPs rates to see what they're charging what I can do is reach out and say yo I'm actually thinking about hiring you for some projects potentially or I just want to keep you in mind and be truthful like act like you actually want to hire them because you know you need to actually work with really talented people as well to get better and so you could legit reach out to let's say three uh, other filmmakers and say what can I, what rates do you normally do so I can keep you in mind for quoting projects mm -hmm. to to you know include you and then that'll give you an idea what they're kind of charging and that way it's an honest conversation. So let's say I'm trying to do a project and I don't know what to charge. I wouldn't necessarily ask Gordon what he would charge, but I would come up with a number and say what do you think of this number. That way he can give. You know, try to find a mentor or a buddy who can give you their honest opinion on what you should be charging and kind of, you know, build out some, I like to do different price tiers. So some people don't, some do, mm -hmm. but I like to give like a baller package that has like multiple edits or more days filming or, uh, you know, usually clients don't care about a better camera package. So I wouldn't sure. really talk about technical stuff, but, uh, you know, basically you want to help benefit the client more. So. I put a whole bunch of things to make a baller package that's let's say twenty thousand bucks, but I know they can. I know the package they want is only like ten thousand, so it makes it the ten thousand seem cheaper. Plus, it kind of gives them that itch to be like, ooh, what if I got the twenty thousand dollar one? Mm -hmm. So you know, I I can do little things like that to help give me some confidence in my pricing. Try to find out what others are charging and. I think just having a few friends in the industry to figure out what they're charging is very helpful as well. Yeah, that's cool. I like, <laughs> I like those tactics. Um, let's talk about your, maybe your biggest client or your biggest project you've ever worked on since you started out. Mm -hmm. um, what client was that? You don't have to say the name of the client, but what was that project like? And um, yeah, what are yeah, the details Yeah, well, that? it probably started with uh, the free shoot I did with Samuel Elkins. Uh -huh. And that just led to, uh, I started posting like behind the scenes of our shoots that kind of built my name up. I started to get some Instagram followers and I started posting like behind this, like before and afters, like as I was shooting, I'd have BTS of that. And then below it would be the final clip mm -hmm. and people love those. And then someone from Epidemic Sound, they're a music licensing company, saw it 
And then they hired me to go to New York out of the blue, like within like a few days, they're like, yo, can you go to New York? That's we had crazy. this huge campaign to film. And you know, I really, I went there and gave my absolute best because I heard that Peter McKinnon and Maddie Hapoya were shooting in Dubai at the same time. Oh wow! For their, or they shot like a week earlier for their that their uh, their episodes of the campaign. Uh-huh. So I'm like, oh boy, their their videos <laughs> are going to be so much better than mine. So yeah. I gave it my absolute all, and like my videos, like they ended up I'm not trying to like toot my own horn, but they ended up being better. And like the other ones, like even the clients like said it like, yo, your videos are fire. Mm-hmm. And so just doing that and then they noticed I had a bunch of behind the scenes and they're like, yo, do you think you can make some behind the scenes tutorials for us? And so then I made a series of five videos. They really liked it. And then they flew me back to Sweden for another thing. They took me to LA. And then I just really built a relationship with them. And then they're like, hey, we really like you, your personality. Do you think you can make YouTube tutorials for us monthly? And so honestly, just putting myself out there on Instagram and just getting my work seen led to Epidemic Sound, which is pretty much my biggest client. Or I've I've had bigger projects like per job or I've, I've had bigger like budgets for a single job, but just the amount of work they've given me. Yeah is probably my biggest client by far and it all came from just you know being a good person and connecting with them on set and Mm -hmm. being a good friend but then putting my work out there to get seen by them so that's cool (laughs) and I feel like you were talking about how like networking is huge in this industry Mm -hmm. in any industry Um, are you outgoing for the most part would you say or are you more of a shy person and did it take a little bit more for you to like get out of your shell or was Mm -hmm. it it just come natural for you yeah it I'm more introverted, surprisingly, but I think I've learned like you kind of have to be like a little outgoing or mm-hmm. you, have, you have to be likable. And so I kind of trained myself in a sense to be like this around social situations and uh, also working, I worked a day job at a supplement store for five years while I did weddings and working every single day with people really gave me some good social skills. Yeah. Um, and so I'm kind of quiet when it's just myself, but when yeah. I'm around other people, I've learned that, you know, just find out about them, you know. It's so much more fun to just, you know, make friends while you're at it on mm-hmm. these jobs and stuff. And yeah. I don't like to use the word networkiness in a sense. I like to use the term like, you know, make friends, build relationships. Yeah, relationship building. Mm-hmm, that's sure. where it's at, so. Yeah, I feel like when people think of like networking, it's like doing some handshakes and talking about your business mm-hmm. and um, just talking about like yourself and the services you offer, but it's more of just um, getting to know the person like you were talking about and just, mm-hmm. um, learning more about them and their, not their business, but just their life in general and building that friendship and that relationship with them. And then Mm -hmm. once you build that know, like, and trust factor, that leads to referrals and jobs down the road, either with them or with people they know. Mm -hmm. So um, I know a lot of people are, who do follow me are more on the shy side or Mm -hmm. um, they're intimidated when it comes to like the word networking. Yeah. But if you want to make it in any industry, in this industry Mm -hmm. specifically, you have to step out of your comfort zone Mm -hmm. and do the work and putting yourself out there. Like us connecting right now, this is super cool. But like, would I have done this um, a couple years back? Probably not. Like Mm -hmm. I never would have done a podcast or um, network with people in person, Mm -hmm. but if I really wanted it to grow and make my dreams a reality, this is like shit you have to do. Yeah. And then once you start doing it more and more, it just becomes more comfortable and it's just mm-hmm. easy after you like build a friendship with people too. Yeah. And it's super yeah. cool. And well, what's interesting is if you look at all the top movies in Hollywood, like the big directors, 
they always work with the same people, like the same actors. Look at Christian Bale, I mean, uh, Christopher Nolan, like he's always got the same actors because you just, you, you work with people better over and over at the same time. And mm -hmm. same with my photographer friend, he always shoots the same models, not because he doesn't have other models to shoot with, but you get better the more you work with the same people. Sure. And the whole industry is what's called gig based. And the more gigs you do, the more gigs you get because you hire your friends. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, like I'm here shooting with, uh, you know, an athlete and I don't live here, but Gordon does. And so, you know, now she might need stuff in the future. So I said, hey, reach out to Gordon. You know, now you can get hopefully work and you wouldn't have got that had you not, uh, you know, worked with me this weekend. So, yeah, I feel like no matter what stage you're at, there's always something to like learn, you know. So I heard like Ben was coming in this week. So I'm like, yeah, why not reach out to Ben, connect with him while he's in town? I'm not shooting or have any clients on a Tuesday. So why not um, link up with Ben, help him out during production because he does um, content. His style is a lot more different than what I normally do and the content I normally create. So I'm like, there's always gonna be something to learn no matter what. So as long as you keep your ears open and, um, you don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. And I always like to be educating myself like in this industry. So it's kind of cool to connect with someone like Ben. It was super, it was a great time to just um, help him on set, um, let him rent some of my gear and whatnot. And it was just great connecting with you. Yeah, so going back to you, Ben, what kind of projects are you looking to work on um, these next couple months or years and the kind of work you're trying to um, trying to lock down? So it really stemmed from that Adidas commercial and what I'm doing to, to try to find what, uh, whether I want to work directly with companies or as a big time like cinematographer, mm -hmm. my goal is to start working direct with companies to kind of build, you know, just my portfolio more and how I'm getting the work is, well, I haven't gotten the work yet, but this is my plan is I specifically will go on Instagram and I'll look at Yeti, for example, and then you'll notice there's a little drop-down menu that shows related companies or similar companies. Yeah. And now it'll show me a bunch of companies that are other coolers, or you could do a shoe company, like movement watches. If you go on movement and you do the drop-down menu to see similar, you'll see a ton of other watch companies. And the key I think is to find companies that aren't very big yet, but can still use high quality stuff. So what I'm doing is I'm saving those companies. So right now I've got like probably 50 companies mm -hmm. that I'm looking at. And the more companies I look at online or on Instagram, the more ads I get hit with. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting hit with, with ads from companies who, are having, who have budgets for content. Mm -hmm. So now I know, okay, this company is paying ads. They need content. I should reach out to them. And so what I'm gonna do is probably go on LinkedIn or just research the company, find out who's the marketing behind it, who does the video for it, or if they have video. Uh, and that way I can just kind of gently reach out and say, hey, this is what I can do. Uh, you know, are you interested in working together? Or when it comes to the relationship part, let's say there's the, you know, the, the guy that does the Instagram for Yeti, for example, you know, I'd find him Obviously, I'm not going to do this with Yeti. It's too big of a brand, but a smaller, cooler company, I could find who runs the IG, connect with them, like their stuff, comment, be genuine for a few weeks. Then they start to know me, and then I can kind of be like, hey, you know, I'm looking to expand my portfolio, and or I'm looking to take on more clients. Uh, you know, would you be interested in collabing? I have some ideas for you, or you know, just offer to help. And sometimes it can be tricky because you don't want to necessarily offer free work because then you're going to be like. Yeah. They're going to be like, yo, well, you just do work for free, but 
it, it's I'm trying to navigate that part as well. Yeah. But uh, it's really just creating the work that you want to get and putting it in front of the brands that you want to do the work with. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I've got this long list of kind of small brands that I plan on reaching out to. Yeah, so I do something similar to you, Ben. So like on IG, I have I utilize the bookmark folders and whatnot. Um, so I like to create a cold, warm, and hot leads folder. So um, cold leads in that folder, I'll bookmark a couple companies around my area or elsewhere that I want to connect with. After I engage with them a little bit, I move them to the warm folder. And then after I know that they're more of a hot lead and they're potentially going to want to hire me for my services, then I would um, move them on onto the hot folder. All right, Ben. So I'm going to try something new on this podcast. I'm, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot real quick. So um, let's say a backpack company reaches out to you that you found on IG. They have 50K followers. They're creating content, but nothing out of the norm. And you know you could help them. So you built that relationship with them. They turn to a hot lead. You email them. And then they reply to you saying they're interested and they're, they want a proposal. So they have an idea in mind and what they propose to you is they want to fly you up to Scottsdale, have you stay in town for about two days, um, one night, and then you'll be traveling to Sedona. Then it'll just be you and one model, one model that you're going to be hiring. And the model will be um, utilizing that backpack or a camera bag and the deliverables you'll be delivering will be one 60 second video and one 15 second video for them to push through Facebook and Instagram ads. What you want to do, sometimes sometimes I kind of like just like to throw it out there and see what their budget is. Yeah. So like, oh, you know, how much you're looking to invest or spend in this. Yeah. And other times, sometimes they might be a little reluctant. So what I can do is ask them, okay, I'm going to do a video of this bag or this backpack. What would be a home run? Like, what what would you guys be extremely ecstatic about if we did this video in terms of sale? How many sales are you hoping to get? Let's say the backpack is 100 bucks. They say we're hoping to get a thousand sales. That'd be a good number. Uh, what's 100 times a thousand? 100 thousand yep. dollars. So then, I think you can justify easy 10 to 20 percent of that. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're if they spend 10 or 20 thousand dollars on you, but they're getting 100 thousand dollars back, that's a no brainer. Mm -hmm. And you can actually have that conversation with the client and say, you know, I would charge. I can give you a few price ranges between about 10 and 20,000 if you, you know, and would you be happy if you got $100,000 back, you know, and sometimes you just got to feel out the company, you know, yeah. this conversation can be appropriate to have or whatever, but I like to see what their end goal is. And sometimes they just need to build brand awareness, which is really hard to put a number on. Uh, you know, you can't really, sometimes the stuff can be hard to track, like where sales come from, sure. but I usually have a, like, I know like the big agencies for cinematographers, they could charge about three to $5,000 a day just for filming. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not quite at that level yet. So I tried to price my, sometimes I try to work higher and go about, I started at like $2,500 a day. Mm -hmm. And that, so if I did that, that's $5,000. But then you also want to take into account the, like you as a creative director, like you are having to come up with ideas and plan stuff. So you could add another, let's say 20% on top of that. So you're at 5,000. So now you're at, uh, what would that be? Like 7,000 or something like that. And now you got to take into account like editing and then post-production and the model and your flights. So obviously you tell them your travel is going to be all covered. 
and char you reach out to a few models, see what it would take or whatever, or just budget a few hundred bucks for a model. Um, and then, you know, that's how you kind of build it. And you, at the end of my quote, I always like to do about a 20% buffer, 20, actually anywhere from 20 to 50% buffer. So if a client, if a project, I think it's going to cost 10,000, then I automatically do 12,000 mm -hmm. because something always goes wrong. Something always costs more money. You're always doing extra re-edits. Uh, and you want to be happy about the work you're doing. You don't want to be like, oh, they should be paying me more. Yeah. But, Cause I know that there will always like be a re-edit and you're going to, you, you'll feel justified now. Yep. Um, and so it really just depends. Like I'd probably I always try to shoot on the higher side, but it sucks cause you don't want to shoot too high. And then they just disregard you sure. because then you can't backtrack and say like, Oh, I could do it for 6,000 when you yep. just quoted 12,000. They're like, well, does this guy even know how to do business? You know, and so yeah. it's really just kind of figuring out what they kind of want to work with by asking good questions. Um, but yeah, and then also I give three packages. So I give usually one with like, I like the 60 second and the 15 second edit. And then I'll probably build in another idea and say, hey, if I stay an extra day, I can give you more deliverables, more locations. And now I'm able to create ideas that benefit them and get me paid more as well. So I would have, let's say a 10,000, a 12,000 and a 15,000 baller package. Mm -hmm. And then I piece that together in a really nice quote. But uh, yeah, just try to find out like, I, I like to do the three options and there's some, uh, you know, debate on whether or not it's like going way overboard. You know, if you shouldn't treat this like a wedding where there's different packages or not, but I like to do that personally. Uh, it just depends on your style, but I think it's kind of cool to do that. So, yeah, man, that's awesome. You dropped some good nuggets right there. And I want to dive into, um, branding. I know branding for me is super big. I want to know, um, how much work do you put into your branding to land higher end clients? And if you think, um, it's important to brand yourself properly to land those types of clients. Yeah, I need to get better at it. My website's kind of sucked oh. recently, but uh, you know, I, I'm, I've always been good at sending like nice proposals, yeah. but like recently I hired a mentor to look at my proposals and he's like, yo, you got to really dive more into the story of how you understand the company and like what these videos are going to be and more visuals, like pictures within the proposal. And so like, I thought my proposals were good, which they are compared to a lot of people, but they still have so much more room to grow. Sure. Um, and usually like, you know, the smaller projects, you might not need to create something all out extensive. You know, sometimes you could be like, Hey, it's a thousand bucks. You want it or not, yeah. you know, or, but if you're selling something $20,000, you got to give it the full experience, make yeah. it feel like it's $20,000 yeah. worth. So amazing. Amazing. So I'm going to wrap this up here. Cause I know you got to head out to the airport, but, um, if you could give one piece of advice to some creatives out there who are just starting out or who've been doing it for a while, but are just currently struggling right now during quarantine, during the coronavirus, and, um, they're just feeling kind of shitty and they're not sure if they want to still pursue this industry as an entrepreneur, as a videographer, a photographer, what kind of advice would you give them? Yeah. Well, use this time. Like you will probably not get this amount of time off. Technically, obviously the time off and not getting work kind of sucks. 
but use this as an opportunity to go out and meet people, meet brands, build relationships. Because as soon as this thing is, you know, life is back to normal, hopefully it comes back soon, you know, the ball is gonna get rolling again and work will be coming. And so you gotta prepare now, you know, you gotta plant your harvest, plant your seeds now so you can eat later. Yep. So it's, uh, it's just about preparation and planning and just meeting people and go out there create the work you want to get and you know put it out there and you'll get it so all right so that wraps up this podcast with ben if you guys want to give ben a follow go ahead and check out his ig his name is ben hess and his ig handles ben hess films b-e-n-h-e-s-s films f-i-l-m-s yeah so give him a follow i decided to wrap this up and create this outro afterwards because the microphones were dying um but yeah ben was a great um, person to connect with he was one guy i've been following for a while now on ig and it's been cool to just network and connect with people not only on the social platforms but in person as well um when they come to your local town or something so yeah appreciate you guys for tuning into this week's podcast with ben and if you guys like this episode go ahead and give a review on apple podcast and looking forward to chatting with you guys in the next one